Connecting with the small group network in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Group Talk. Group Talk. A podcast centered around strategic ideas for leaders of small groups. Whether you're stuck in your ministry or you're just looking for practical wisdom to help you in your ministry context, the small group network exists to keep you supported, inspired, and informed so no small group point person stands alone. Let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Well, welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, and I'm your host for this conversation. And I'm also the Executive Director of Small Groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Um, today, we're going to focus on a fundamental issue in small groups ministry. Regardless of your church size or your location, as a small group point leader, whether you're on staff or a volunteer, you need an approach or framework to your small groups ministry, uh, whether it's a model, a system. You need some sort of a skeleton framework for the ministry and how you're going to do things. So there's so many different systems and approaches that you could choose. And the challenge, of course, is picking the one that is best for your your church and your situation. So how do you know that? How do you know which system is best? Uh, what are some issues you would need to consider and what questions you might need to ask? So this is our conversation today with um, our guest, Will Johnston. Hey, Will, thanks for being on the program. Hey, Carolyn. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Glad to talk to you today. Yeah, Will is an author, speaker, he's a pastor, and a consultant on small groups ministry, and he specializes in building and troubleshooting small group systems. He's a systems guy. Um, he previously served as a group pastor at National Community Church, which is a multi-site congregation in Washington, D.C. Hey, wasn't that church known for being like the movie theater church? Yeah, it was. We met in uh, several different movie theaters from around the D.C. and Northern Virginia area. I'm thinking it smelled like popcorn all the time. <laughs> there was a lot of popcorn smell. It, it was one of those things like you went to church and you were like hungry and just like, oh, it was kind of, I mean, a little gross though when you'd find it like under the seats and the chicken wings that were still underneath the, you know, thing sometimes. So anyway, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I know, that's so creative. I mean, NCC is known for being super creative and uh, experimenting with things. Um, uh, Heather Zempel was uh, your uh, supervisor, your um, boss at the time, I think, as well, and she's known for that as well. So this is very cool. You've had a chance to look at a lot of different systems and um, test out a bunch of stuff in your own environment as well as being a consultant for other churches. So, well, let's start with an overview. So what are the most popular small group models out there today? And I, and I mean like the broad stroke ones. I know there's a lot of little ones, but broad strokes, what are like the top four models? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, one of the big ones out there right now uh, is the free market or affinity small group model. Um, and so this is really the idea that you can build a group around anything. You could, you know, you could have a group that is sort of your traditional small group. It's a book study. It's a Bible study. You know, you're going in-depth on Romans. Um, you could also have a group that is centered around um, volleyball or something like that <laughs> and is really just more of an activity, an activity type of group. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the first one. Uh, the second one is um, the campaign model um, and, and kind of tied in with that is like a, a sermon based model. And so the campaign model is really this idea that you are going to launch a bunch of new groups um, using uh, hosts. So you just kind of recruit people from the congregation to host these groups in their house. They don't have to have a ton of training or anything like that. Um, and they're just going to go, they're going to invite friends, they're going to start new small groups. And around a particular sermon series that, that you know, the church is kind of designed to right. launch these groups. 
Now, a little bit different, but kind of related to that is sort of the sermon-based model. Um, and that is the idea that, you know, all of our groups are going to study the sermon. Um, they're going to focus in on that, kind of kind of talk through that and talk about how they can apply it to their lives. So that's kind of the second big one. Uh, the third uh, is just this geographic model, right? So this idea of we have a group that meets in a particular area, and if you live in that particular area, that is the group for you. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the bigger the church gets or the more groups that are launched, kind of the more granular you can get with that with that geographic location so that you're actually then meeting with the people that you live around. Uh, and then the fourth would be the missional model, and that's this idea that small groups are really the, the part of the church that reaches out into the community, that serves the community, that, that brings people in um, to the church. And so those are kind of four of, the, four of the big models that are out there right now and kind of what I've seen a lot of churches uh, currently using. Yeah, and I, I think that's accurate. Um, okay, so let's do this. Let's go pro and con for each model. And no offense to any of our friends who are running these models, have written books on these models, uh, like Steve Gladen, for example, on the campaign. Um, but there are churches that do these models really well, and it works for them. Um, but quick, I mean, would you be able to say, well, uh, what would be like the primary pros and cons for, for each of these? Like the free market one, what's the pro and con there? Yeah, I mean, I think with the with the free market model, um, one of the big pros is that like people like to hang out with folks that they have things in common with, and it's a lot right. easier to build community when you have kind of a, a shared experience, something that that everyone enjoys. And so, if you've got a you know a group of folks who play basketball, like they they've got at least that in common, and they they're going to be able to bond over just a you know just a fun activity um, or an interest that they have, and it doesn't even I mean. I led a group on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings, like super, super <laughs> nerdy, right? But the fact is we got a bunch of nerdy people together, and we liked each other, and we enjoyed hanging out together. Some of my wife's best friends are still the people who she met in that group because, you know, there was kind of that shared, you know, that shared camaraderie of, hey, we like to do nerdy things together. Um, well, the affinity, so the affinity a lot of times is how this plays out in churches is an agent stage, and we have those. It seems, that seems pretty popular. It's a version of free market, but basically you clump people in groups based on the agent stage. They're young couples, newlyweds, they're um, retired, empty nesters, or anything in between, and it kind of does help get the groups off the ground faster. It seems like chemistry is easier there, um, so that people do kind of, uh, glue themselves together faster, but then what's the potential downfall? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one, when you know when you're talking about the kind of age and stage groups, that means that there's not really any cross pollination, right? So I'm right. you know a thirty something married guy, and if I'm in a bunch of groups, you know, I'm in a group with a bunch of other thirty something married, like I'm not getting any wisdom or advice or insight from anybody who's maybe a few steps further down the road than me. Sure. Um, and and I think that, I mean this guy goes both ways too. You know, I've, I've heard folks who are older say I like to hang out with younger people because it kind of keeps me invigorated, it helps me keep my edge, and, and kind of gets me excited about you know about kind of continuing on with with God's work in the church and things like that. And so I, I think you lose some of that um, just diversity when you know when you end up with kind of an age and stage uh, type model. And then when you're talking about kind of other. Uh, you know, other free market type groups, other affinity groups that maybe are more of an activity group or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, really, it, it, my belief is that you don't have to have a study to be discipling people. Like, discipleship is about inviting people into your life and, and really modeling who Jesus is and, and speaking, you know, speaking words of truth and life to them. Um, but it takes a lot of intentionality to make sure that that's happening because you don't have right. any content that's driving that discussion. Sure. So you've got to be very intentional with that. And if your leaders aren't, then that's definitely a, a potential downside. That's a great point. Okay, how about the campaign sermon-based type model? What would be the strength and weaknesses there? Yeah, I think a um, couple, of, couple of big strengths. I mean, one, just the ability to launch a lot of groups very easily. Uh, you know, you're right. kind of just you're inviting anybody who, who's interested to, to just pick up a curriculum, have people over, lead a group, um, and so you can launch lots and lots of groups very easily. I mean, Saddleback is a you know a great example of a church that does this does it very sure. well. Uh, I think another you know kind of another advantage is when you're doing that, the people who are getting invited into those groups because you're sort of going outside the bounds of the people we would look to to be small group leaders. Uh, they're probably folks a little bit more on the fringes of the church, maybe don't have as strong of a theological right. foundation or whatever. Uh, newer Christians and so. There's an element of risk there, um, and there's definitely a potential downside. But on the other hand, like they're going to invite their friends who maybe don't know Jesus at all to come do some study thing with them that like you and I would probably not have a very <laughs> easy time doing. But that's sure. just, that's just where they are. Those are friends are like, hey, this is the exciting new thing happened in my life. They're gonna you know they're gonna invite them in. So I think you know that's kind of a that's kind of that double edged sort of like huge upside potential to that, um, but then also you know some potential downside as well. Uh, and then your right. follow-up has to be really good on those, and, you know, or else, again, you're yes. going to be a pretty big con. You're right. I, I totally agree. I think also you mentioned the sermon base being um, kind of a related model, um, and the big upside to that is alignment for the church um, so that everyone's studying the same thing. They're talking about the message going deeper. Your senior pastor loves you. There's a lot of upside um, to just having that alignment. People are hearing the message and the application multiple times, so they're learning it, hopefully, and more likely to apply it. So that's the upside to it. I think the downside then potentially could be that it only goes as deep as the um, as the messages and as the uh, person writing the guides. Um, and if you're you have your church has a lot of newer believers or non-believers, it may not have enough content necessarily to drive it to those who might also who might need something uh, more. Um, deeper for a more maturing believer. You know what I mean? So, like, that could work really well on one end, and then it also kind of has a potential um, uh, troubling side if that's all they do, which, unlike most churches, do multiple things. Um, what's the pro and cons to the geographic one? I mean, I think one of the, you know, one of the huge pros to the geographic one, and this is probably the, the primary reason to do it, is that it really is easier just to get to know people who you're physically by. If I've got to yeah. drive 35 minutes to get to a small group and then somebody else drives 35 minutes from, you know, <laughs> the opposite side, I now live an hour and 10 minutes from this person. And we're probably not going to cross paths very often unless we're just at group. It's going to be tough just to get together and grab coffee or hang out or come over to each sure. other's houses for dinner sure. or something like that. Um, geographic groups, I think also, you know, we'll talk about missional groups in a minute, but can, also be great about uh, just really being able to reach out into the community because all of the folks live in this area. And so if you've got, you know, six or seven or eight families or, you know, singles or whatever that live in an area, their ability to then maybe get to know their neighbors, you know, begin to begin to kind of live life with them 
um, and share Jesus with them in a very just natural and normal way, I think is greatly, you know, is greatly expanded. That's true. I, I, the, especially for commuter cultures, which is what we have in Southern California. I was talking to a friend um, who's a small groups pastor at a church that has a lot of people that drive in to the church. And so this is the only way she could do small groups was to have it in different cities that are all about 20 minutes apart from each other. Um, and they only see each other at, at church and then possibly, you know, in group. And so it really does help to kind of cut down on the amount of, amount of time that you deal with. Um, and the other piece, this was kind of interesting byproduct when we did a geographic group for a while in our community um, was that we found that we had some similar um, friends in common or acquaintances or neighbors um, so mm-hmm. that we kind of go full court press on one person and pray for them like nonstop that they would, yep. you know, come to church or they would, they were just, you know, one person might be in someone's gym, they might be in my kid's class. So we were like, wait, you know that person, I know that person. And it made um, evangelism and praying for them and, and reaching out to them and easier. And then when we would have a barbecue or something, um, then they would be more likely to come because they knew multiple of us because we all lived in the same neighborhood. So yep. there's just natural relational building, which I think is a plus. Um, but on the downside, it could become kind of insular because everybody around you is about the same age and stage as you. <laughs> um, which is our our case in in our neighborhood. Um, okay, the last one, missional, real quick. Um, the pluses seem obvious. <laughs> Any downsides? Um, so one of the things. So you know, we had a free market system at National Community Church, and I was there. I mean, they they still have it now. But and so we would have some groups that were missional groups, and that was kind of what they were built around. Uh, you know, obviously. Big upside being just, you know, you're getting out, you're serving the community, you're making a difference, you're having an impact. Um, I think one of the downsides that, that was really expressed to me by um, someone who actually ended up becoming our, like, local missions uh, director was that, you know, she was leading this group and in this group, and, and sometimes when you're serving, you know, you build community a little bit differently when you're serving shoulder to shoulder with someone. Um, and it can really strengthen a community, but it also means that there isn't as much time just to get to know people personally and on a little bit of a deeper level. And so when, you know, week after week, like that's the primary focus of what you're doing, um, that can be a little bit, you know, a little bit more challenging, um, to just build those strong relationships that, uh, you know, that obviously are a big part of small groups. And so I I think that is a, you know, that is kind of a, a potential downside, um, Another potential downside, you know, again, if, if missional is your only model, of course, a lot of churches have just hybrids of, of multiple ones of these. Um, but if missional really is your only model, what about those people who really do need to grow in a particular area um, or to be discipled in a particular area sure. because they're new Christians, because they're, you know, right. dealing with an issue or something like that? Um, and so it's kind of, you know, similar to with sermon-based, I mean, one of the downsides is you're kind of limited, and if somebody has a, you know, I really need to just learn my Bible, but I'm just, you know, rehashing the sermon every week, kind of the same thing. I'm getting out and serving, but I I could maybe learn some scripture, because I haven't done this. (laughs) Right. That's that's a really good point. Um, And I liked what you said about, you know, I think most uh, most of the people we know in small groups ministry probably do have some sort of a hybrid or a blend of of Mm -hmm. different models. But if you are going to blend, though, you still need to know what you're blending from. Um, and so what are some questions you would consider, since obviously there's no perfect group system, I think we've kind of shown that, there's yeah. no perfect magic formula for a group system, <laughs> so then what are some questions or issues to consider when you're thinking about what kind of system you should be building or modifying? 
Yeah, you're right. We would get calls all the time, and people would want to know exactly how we did stuff. And then we'd tell them, but also let them know, like, like, look, this works for us here, but we have a very different context in inner city D.C. Okay. than you might have in, you know, rural Idaho or wherever. Um, <laughs> right. And so, you know, kind of a few things that I've found to just be helpful questions to ask when you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I build a system? How do I structure it? Um, what, are, what, is, what are the demographics of my church? And what are the demographics of my community? So who are the people I've already got and who are the people that I should be trying to reach? So, you know, are they young or old? Are there lots of families with young kids, lots of empty nesters? Do you have a ton of professionals? Is it blue collar? Uh, you know, do you have service right. industry workers that maybe have kind of varying schedules and, you know, they work a lot of nights and weekends or they, they kind of have a lot of shift work where they're flopping back and forth. And so, uh, you know, we had a we had a group for uh, medical professionals, and they actually like scheduled each meeting independently based on when everybody could make wow. it. Uh, wow! Is your you know, is you your know stable? Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say I love that. I mean, to just basically doing a analysis of of the community, and I was thinking we recently did this where we looked at the census data, which is online and it's free. Um, you can just type it in, and you yeah. can put in your zip code, and it gives you the the socioeconomic demographics of your congregation uh, of your community, and you match them up with your congregation, you get a pretty good snapshot of who the target um, population that got put you in that place to reach. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, knowing those things about about your people and about your community are, are absolutely key to figuring this out. Right, and then what's – okay, so I have to say, okay, you figured out the community, you've got your data points, you figured out who's in your church um, and whether or not that reflects the community, that will leave that alone. Um, but then what's the what's next question? The next thing you want to do is you kind of want to ask yourself – where do small groups fit into the big picture of my church? So one question there is, you know, what is the goal of groups? What are we trying to do with them? Right. I mean, are we, you know, are we just trying to build community? Are we trying to build community and have discipleship happen? Are we trying to build community, have discipleship happen, and be missional in that context? And so you're going to need to kind of Everything, know what you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> I, I, we want I'm all of it. advocate for all of it. But yes. <laughs> you know, some churches have other other ways of doing it. <laughs> when you ask that question, that usually is what is happening. When they people go, well, of course you want to make disciples who make disciples while you're being missional, yep. while you are assimilating and closing the back door, so that everybody's going to stay in your congregation and give money and serve. I mean, you want all of it, and you look you look towards a small group to somehow magically make that happen. This is not how how it goes. Well. Well, it, that would be nice if it did, but that kind of leads to the next question, you know, kind of asking about where it fits in the big picture of the church, and that's the idea of what what is going to be the scope? So are we going to be a church of small groups where, you know, we're going to try to get everyone into a group, and we're really going to limit our other options and opportunities to get involved because we're seeing groups as like, this is the thing you need to do. Are we going to have this as kind of, one of, you know, maybe a couple of things that are a big priority. So at NCC, you know, um, we had ministry teams, which were our, like, weekend ministry teams, not men's and women's stuff. We had missions, um, and we had small groups, and those were kind of our big three. So we weren't really a church of groups, but they were a, a major component of what we did. Or is it just we have men's and women's and, you know, Sunday school and kind of a bunch of other things, and groups are going to be a component of that. 
Um, and, and, you know, this is probably not a decision that the, you know, the group's director or the group's pastor is going to be able to make on their own. Um, but it's kind of right. honestly evaluating where, where is this going to fit into our organization. Right, and that's twofold, right? Because where's the first question is where are we currently at with groups? Whether you know mm-hmm. they're at ground zero, barely getting off the ground, or they've been running for a while, and it's just one of the buffet menu of ministry offerings that they have. Um, so the first is like where's the where's the priority groups now? And then the second one is what you're pointing to is where do we want to go? Like what would be the goal for it? Does is there a vision for for groups becoming a more um, you know, critical part of the the church's um, overall strategy. Yeah, you're exactly right. And as as a groups person, I mean, of course, that's always my heart, and that's always you know my goal is like, hey, I want to see groups become the biggest part of of what this ministry is that they can. <laughs> but I also know that 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 can be kind of a frustrating thing. Um, yeah. And and not all churches are in a place where that's that's going to be a reality, um, either because of you know the leadership that is in that church, or maybe there are you know I think groups are great, and I would I would push groups pretty hard, but I think there probably are churches that are doing things a little bit differently and using some other models, and if that's working really well, um, maybe that's the best thing to leave in place for right then. So it is kind of that idea of where are we and and where do we need to be going. Right, and then do you think, um, you know, how much do you think church size impacts impacts that? Which system you choose? You know, I think I think you can do most of the systems um, that we talked about in just about any size church, uh, except that when a church is um, maybe under five hundred or so, I'd say the the free market system and the geographic system are probably going to be a little bit tougher. Um, you know, if, if you have 500 people and let's say you've got 25 groups going and you've got a free market system and eight of them are about, you know, like very niche things, like one of them is a basketball group and one of them is a knitting group and, you know, one of them is an <laughs> underwater basket weaving group or whatever, like, you're going to eliminate just a, most of your the people in your congregation who are going to be able to join those things because they're not going to be interested. Right. Uh, and so for a you know for a smaller church, I would say probably not um, probably not a free market system. And then geographic, I mean that's it's not totally a church size thing. I mean depending on the way that your community is spread out or not, um, it might uh, if you know it, it might work or, or it may not work, but. If you've got kind of people condensed in a pretty tight little area and you're in a church of, of you know, two or three hundred or something like that, trying to force people into, you know, go to this group and not that one when you're five minutes away from each other may not make a lot of sense. So um, along with church size, okay, another big factor is going to be senior pastor, senior leadership, right? I mean, that will impact what budgets, staffing, um, stage time, uh, platform time. Um, so yeah. how do you how do you negotiate like how do you decide or work around you know a system where the person and the senior leadership may not be on the same page? Yeah, I mean, I think first I would say you know we always have to be careful anytime you're you're you know as Andy Stanley would say like leading from the second chair like you're not the number right. one guy. Um, if you really are a leader, you're going to disagree with whoever the number one leader is. Like, like, if you're a leader, you're going to have an idea about how something should be done differently, something should be done better, um, 
And, and the reality is that God calls us to serve the vision of the leaders that, that he has put in place over us. And so the first thing is just to make sure that we're not going outside the bounds of what is holy or what is healthy when we're, you know, when we're kind of strategizing this and we're trying to push, you know, push small groups forward. Um, but then the second thing I would say is just being realistic about what those resources are. I mean, if you, you know, if, if it's kind of a limited budget, limited resources, limited support, you're not going to be able to go with a North Point coaching model of, like, hiring <laughs> staff coaches for right. your leaders. Like, right. you're not always going to allocate tens of thousands of dollars to this new staff person for <laughs> I, I'd like to, not, I'd like to do that. I'd like to yeah, borrow right, their exactly. model and their, and their budget. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think it's I think it's being realistic about what you can do, um, and then and then trying to be as efficient and as streamlined as possible with the you know the time and the resources and the budget that you do have. Um, and so if you're not going to get a lot of stage time, you may need to invest more of your time in kind of social media or in organic networking or or something right. like that. And it really is figuring out okay, this is my reality, and it may mean that I can only take it so far, but how can I take it as far as I can, given this set of circumstances? Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, and I think the support from leadership really impacts the pace of it, but you can still uh, move things forward, perhaps not as quickly as you'd like, but you're right, you find other venues to have influence um, when you're leading from a second chair. It's so much more about influence than any... Um, you know, organizational chart. So um, yep. I think that helped. Uh, just a couple other ones. I'm curious to know, what do you think about this comment that's been going around um, for a couple of years now about in groups that you can either um, design them for control or you can design them for growth, and um, you have to choose one or the other? What are your thoughts on that? I think... I think I view it less as a dichotomy of I have to choose growth or I have to choose control, uh, but really as a continuum. And so you can get, you know, you can get a million people to like something on Facebook to support a cause, but that doesn't really mean that you accomplished anything. And you may only be able to get five people to actually go out and work for that cause, but those five people may do more in reality than the million people who, you know, just hit the like button. Um, and, and so I think this is kind of the, you know, kind of the same thing with small groups. You can, you know, you can launch a lot of groups. Um, and this is not to say every time you launch a lot of groups with low control, like it's, it's not a good result. Cause I, I, you know, I think there are churches out there that are really hitting out of the park with that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it is okay. I think to say, well, we don't want to have, you know, 12 groups for 1,200 people because we required a year of discipleship with the lead pastor before you could lead a group. But I think it's also okay to say, well, we're also not going to just let anyone and everyone take right. something and lead. We want, to, we want to kind of invest some actual spiritual authority in these people, and so we're going to make sure that they're prepared for that first. Yeah, I like I like that the continuum that makes sense to me, and I think probably most of us um, we probably do fall on that continuum somewhere, and are trying to to manage it towards discipleship and growth um, with you know whatever level of comfort, and, and sometimes our least senior leadership may have a different level of comfort and there's a higher degree of accountability and control than maybe we. Okay, so fi- I know we're running out of time. I just wanted to ask. Okay, finally, let's say that you've done all your homework, um, you've done the research, you figured out what the goals are, and where you're at, and you pick the perfect group system for your church, and you line it all up, and then things don't quite turn out as you expect. How much time do you give us, 
the model um, before you change it? I think that is something that is very circumstance dependent. Um, but I think a good rule of thumb is giving something two years before you go and you swap it out. Now, if, if it's just like crashed and burned or it's never gotten off the ground, like you've got, you know, 800 people at your church and you launch 10 small groups and you can't get above 10, it's probably time to change it. But if you have 800 people and you were hoping for 80 and you got 50, like you might give it some time to kind of work itself out and work into the culture. And that doesn't mean you're not tweaking and you're not trying new things and you're not, you know, sort of adjusting and, and figuring out if there's sort of mechanisms that can make it work better. But I think sometimes we give our people whiplash when we kind of, well, right. we're do it this way. And, you know, you sort of <laughs> it, you promote it. And then you, you know, you pull the rug out from under that six months later, they're not going to trust your next system, your next idea because they're going to just be wondering if it if it's going to change again in six months. Right. That's that's a great point. So give it a little bit of time. But I like that you keep evaluating and tweaking. Um, that makes a lot of sense because there is no again no perfect system. So you're going to have to keep working your context and figuring out what works for you. Is there any final thoughts, um, Will? I'm giving you one minute. Final thoughts. <laughs> Man, I just, uh, yeah, I think I just encourage people to, to kind of take take a, a, a real look. If you're looking at launching small groups or revamping small groups, uh, just take a hard look at the context that you're in and really try to ask yourself those questions um, and evaluate that and get some outside perspective on those things from other other folks on staff. Um, get your, you know, if at all possible, get your lead pastors buy-in because that's going to be a, a huge component of whether or not that right. system succeeds or fails. That's right. It's um, that's a good word, and remember, it's going to have to work in your context, not um, in the church that who's wrote the book for it. Um, thanks so much, Will. These are really helpful, a um, lot to think about, and I hope it was helpful to you, our audience. Um, if you'd like to connect with Will, he is um, on our Small Group Network Facebook page um, pretty consistently. He's also on our communications team for the network, so he's on there. Um, and you can also find him on Twitter at Will Johnston um, as well. And here's a third place you can find him. Will is attending our Small Group Lobby in March um, along with me and a whole bunch of people. We still have about a dozen spots left. Um, and so we'd love for you to join us if you can. It's um, coming up very soon. Will, you went last year. What would you say it was the most valuable thing for you in going? You know, I think it's just a, an incredible opportunity to meet other folks who do what you do, um, who love small groups, to share ideas, to kind of share best practices, and just get to know some other folks who um, are maybe in a similar boat and, and, and kind of identify with some of the some of the challenges you're facing and some of the joys that, uh, you know, yeah. that we all share. It's true. I, it's my, I love it because it's so fun to, to meet up with old friends and make new ones. And people get yeah. it. You don't have to explain why you love small groups. Like, get it. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Which is so nice. And here's an added thing for our listeners. Will's going to be there. So if you want to pick his brain any further um, and, and want to find out how, he get his help on how to um, to build your small group system for your context. So I want to pick his brain on that. He's going to be there. He's graciously agreed to entertain questions and whatnot. Right, Will? Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I'd be you. That's the that's the whole point of uh, the whole point of the lobby. It's true. It is. It's good to chat and just brainstorm together, so you can meet him there as well. Well, thank you. Will. God bless you and your ministry. Um, and Thanks, I get Carolyn, to see you in a few. You. 
I get to see you in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, thank you for listening to Group Talk. We hope to see many of you at the lobby gathering um, coming up, and you can register for that on smallgroupnetwork.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. If you liked what you just heard, we encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Also, use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you get all the episodes downloaded automatically. Remember, the Small Group Network exists so nobody stands alone.